But I know it put like funny glasses and a funny hat on them. So that's, I mean. Uh, you see my finger go to it? Yeah! <laughs> started with our last paper. We're privileged to have Chris Talbot to speak on co-opted coordinator to contramundum, a critical reappraisal of Francis Schaeffer's public theology. Chris Talbot serves as the Youth and Family Ministry Program Coordinator and Campus Pastor here at Welch College, and he does an excellent job. He also teaches courses in biblical and theological studies. He holds degrees from Welch College and from Grace College, an MA from Grace College, and he's currently enrolled in the PhD in, at Southeastern Baptist Seminary in uh, apologetics and culture. And he's a person who is suited to speak on this topic because he has a very keen interest in the intersection of church and culture and how Christian doctrine informs the way we live our lives. In other words, that we have a Christian world and life view that governs the way we make our way in the world. And he's very interested in that intersection. He's also interested in ministry, in the ministry of the gospel. He's the uh, volunteer youth pastor and family pastor at Sylvan Park Free Will Baptist Church in Nashville. And one of the things I love about Chris is that he loves to write, and he's a good writer. 
and he writes a lot. He's, he's, he's already written a book called Remodeling Youth Ministry, a Biblical Blueprint for Ministering to Students. I encourage you, if you haven't read that book and you're in ministry of any sort, to get a copy of that book. It's a wonderful reflection on how the ordinary means of grace apply to ministering to students. But he's also written a number of scholarly and popular articles. He contributes to the Hellwood Society Forum. And his best asset is his wife, Rebecca, and his three sons, William, James Elliott, and Samuel, and they live here in Gallatin. Let's welcome Brother Christopher Talbot to the podium. I have the uh, privileged spot to be the last one presenting. Told Jackson Watts that I thought that meant I was a headliner, but I don't. I don't know if that that's the case. So, <laughs> uh, co-opted, coordinated, or contramutum. <laughs> a critical reappraisal of Francis Schaeffer's public theology. Leaders and participants of the religious right undoubtedly claim Francis Schaeffer in his work as a seminal influence on their political project. His books like A Christian Manifesto and Whatever Happened to the Human Race were utilized as political and cultural resources specifically in political activism against abortion for the pro-life cause. Even more, the title of his son's autobiography insinuates a high level of involvement in the founding of the religious right. Yet one wonders whether Francis Schaeffer's public theology has been co-opted by this political coalition for political gains. Several of Francis Schaeffer's own works on public theology, for example, ecological concerns found in pollution and the death of man, were not emphasized by the leaders of the religious right, and thus seem ill-fitted into their larger political vision. Or maybe Schaefer himself worked to coordinate with the religious right, to utilize them for his own efforts. In light of the various interpretations, one wonders what comprised the foundation of Schaefer's own cultural engagement. Therefore, this paper will seek to critically reappraise the grounding and framework of Francis Schaefer's public theology. To evaluate Schaefer's public theology, I'll begin by analyzing public political themes in Schaefer's work. While this will not be an exhaustive assessment, it will hopefully be representative enough to highlight Schaefer's primary political and cultural motifs. I will then assess cultural per perceptions and theses of Schaefer's public theology. Next, I will explore the actual relationship between Schaefer and the religious right seen through Schaefer's own or comments and correspondence with various individuals. Specifically at hand here is answering whether or not he was co-opted by this political coalition, or whether he himself coordinated coordinated the uh, relationship, or if there is a third viable interpretation. I will then conclude with a constructive reappraisal of Schaefer's public theology. Uh, the, my, my article is a little bit on the, uh, the longer side, so what I want to do is I want to sum up real quickly the consistent themes, because I think uh, many of you in here probably are familiar, at least with some of Schaefer's work. What I try to do there is I look at specifically four specific issues that I don't think are exhaustive. Like I said, I think they're representative. Schaefer's view on abortion, um, military involvement, which he writes about briefly in a, uh, in a contributive work called uh, Who is for Peace, uh, pollution, as well as political action as well. And so I would encourage you to go back and look at those and kind of uh, give us a short summary of his, his ideas there. I conclude that section talking about Schaefer's use of co-belligerence. So uh, Schaefer thought it uh, to be a viable option to work with someone, uh, not an ally, but someone he disagreed with uh, towards a... Uh, particular cause. And so if they agreed on a singular cause together, they would work uh, to rectify that, that situation. 
And then I also mentioned, uh, because space doesn't allow further exploration, Schaefer also has, they're, they're not nearly as prominent, but he has some, uh, some comments about both uh, racial reconciliation as well as the, uh, the compassionate use of accumulated wealth as well. Uh, and those are interesting topics in their own right. So let's, let's turn to current perceptions. There are a variety of ways in which readers and observers of Schaefer's work have evaluated and conceptualized public theology. Valuable here may be two theses Lane Dennis offers in relation to prominent criticisms of Schaefer's work. While other criticisms are levied against Schaefer's apologetic and philosophical work, two specifically address his public theology. The first thesis argues that Schaefer had become the captive of the religious right. This thesis assumes Schaefer to be exploited or used by the religious right to further their own political vision, contrary to his own public, uh, political public views. The th second thesis holds that there are two Schaefers, the early Schaefer, who made a very positive contribution, and the later Schaefer, who went wrong somewhere along the way. To be sure, these two theses are interrelated, therefore it's best to assess these in tandem. So let's begin with two Schaefers. Regarding the, uh, uh, the, uh, this thesis, some have argued for a significant shift in Schaefer's thinking and practice, specifically in the late 1970s and early 1980s, as he spent more time in America, which also involved him spending more time involved in American politics. Ronald Wells makes this to Schaefer's claim soon after Schaefer's death. Along with other contributors in the book Reflections on Francis Schaefer, he argues for a, quote, transition of Schaefer from philosophical theology in his early career to the emphasis on practical socio-moral matters in his later career, end quote. Wells perceives a marked change in Schaefer's thinking and emphasis. Those who perceive the shift saw his later work to be more aligned with the religious right. As one author noted, quote, while the Christian right seemed to be the most receptive to his recruiting efforts for the culture wars, other evangelicals, especially Christian academics, wondered whatever happened to Francis Schaeffer, end quote. Thus the question stands, was there a marked change in Schaeffer later in his life? William Edgar challenges this assumption outright. He seeks to bring clarity to the discussion, stating, quote, it may be true that in his later years, Schaeffer was more explicit about his sympathies, with political conservatives and groups such as the moral majority. It is no doubt the case that the realm of politics and law became prominent in his speaking and writing during those years, to the, to the profound disappointment of many who knew the early Schaefer, but the basic convictions were there all along." End quote. Others have affirmed similar sentiments. James Patterson writes, while Schaefer adjusted some of his priorities and strategies in a more militant direction during the 1980s, he never wavered in his diagnosis that a terminal illness jeopardized the heart of Western civilization. There could be no doubt that his convictions about the state of culture were deep-rooted and sincere. Schaefer's critics seemed to argue a patent shift in tone and topic, yet failed to realize the clear warnings and prophetic language in his earlier writings. Greg Groom's comments on the two Schaefer's thesis, he writes summarizing the view, quote, the early Schaefer, it is said, contented himself with teaching. The later Schaefer became a political activist. The early Schaefer was content to be the missionary to the intellectuals. The later Schaefer tried to be the conscience of evangelicalism. The early Schaefer was respectable, the latter troublesome, end quote. But Grimm's too challenges this argument. He maintains that Schaefer's later work, specifically his stand against abortion in the 1970s, marked no change in his focus. Instead, Grimm's understands his later work to be an inescapable conclusion of Schaefer's doctrinal commitments, which were consistent throughout his life. In fact, Schaefer himself argues this point of thematic continuity. The first words in his book, The Christian Manifesto, read, quote, 
This book is the natural outgrowth of the books which have come before. The earliest books, The God Who Is There, Escape from Reason, He Is There and He Is Not Silent, dealt with the lordship of Christ over all of life. Philosophy, theology, and the church, art, music, literature, and culture in general. He argued that his following books, including Manifesto, simply extended the lordship of Christ into all of life. Schaefer understood himself in Manifesto to be simply asking the next logical question. What is the Christian's relationship to government, law, and civil disobedience? It is possible then that a major shift did not happen with Schaefer, but maybe a change happened with his critical observers. Lane Dennis, in refuting the two Schaefer's thesis, notes that there is considerable continuity with Schaefer's views throughout his life and writing, with a slight change in emphasis and strategy near the end of his life. Instead, the thesis may be a tool utilized by Schaefer's critics who are sympathetic with some of his views, but seek to parse areas that they find difficult or problematic. No matter, the thesis ultimately fails to note the strong thematic threads that run through all of Schaefer's work and career. Instead, a closer look reveals continuous themes of human dignity and Christ's lordship. Schaefer and the religious right. The second thesis argues Schaefer being co-opted by the religious right and thus being used for political purposes, or worse yet, that he himself was a card-carrying member. The religious right had an understanding of America's relationship to Christianity, often seen as a fusion that made America uniquely a Christian nation and operated with a high level of zeal. While Schaefer's perspective on some political matters remains unclear, he was explicit regarding America's relationship to Christianity. Schaefer asserted, we must not confuse the kingdom of God with our country. To say it another way, we should not wrap Christianity in our national flag. This declaration was not an isolated comment, but a sentiment he reiterated elsewhere. He writes in the church at the end of the 20th century, quote, patriotic loyalty must not be identified with Christianity. As Christians, we are responsible under the lordship of Christ in all of life to carry the Christian principles into our relationship to the state, but we must not make our country and Christianity to be synonymous. Further, he understood political institutions to have their place under the lordship of Christ and not under totalitarian rule. He wrote, neither a church which puts itself between the individual and God, nor a state which demands primary allegiance has a totalitarian right. There is a legitimate place for both the state and the church, but they're not at the center. The center must be a person. Clearly for Schaefer, Jesus is to be the center of our lives. Subsequently, politics and national allegiance have a place farther down the hierarchy. Schaefer's political leanings seem to be a bit more nuanced. He writes in Manifesto, as Christians, we must stand absolutely and totally opposed to the whole humanist system whether it is controlled by conservative or liberal elements. Thus, Christians must not become officially aligned with either group just on the basis of the name it uses. To be fair, Schaefer was uh, certainly sympathetic to conservative politics. This may have been a mixture of both his theological convictions, as well as his earlier interactions with Carl McIntyre, as well as his own historical context. He seemed to find connection with the minority of the silent majority. His pro-life issues, resistance against secularization, and more inevitably aligned Schaefer with one political party more than another. Further, he was very much against a socialist approach, finding both its vocabulary and its end goal to be very problematic. He warned readers against a socialism that combines familiar biblical terminology, things like justice and compassion, yet utilizes these themes within a secular framework. Schaefer was clear to draw a distinction between political and theological categories. He resisted an explicit connection to a particular political party, 
though he certainly had his leanings. Co-opted and coordinated. If these previous theses are proven false, and it seems that they are, it is then pertinent to gauge the actual relationship between Schaefer and the religious right. To do so, it will be help to, uh, helpful to assess Schaefer's own statements on the religious right, as well as his correspondence with certain leaders of the movement. First, one is curious as to how those closest to Schaefer view this relationship. Uh, John Whitehead was Francis Schaefer's research assistant when he wrote uh, a Christian Manifesto. And he reflects, stating, in fact, without the influence, influence of Francis Schaeffer, the so-called Christian right of today would not exist. Dr. Schaeffer's groundbreaking books, How Should We Then Live? and Whatever Happened to the Human Race, set the tone and agenda for the emerging Christian right. And without the philosophical groundwork laid by these books in a Christian manifesto, it's highly unlikely that people such as Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, James Dobson, Tim LaHaye, and others would have had the political influence they wield. This despite the fact that much of what comes out of the mouths of these people would today alarm Francis Schaeffer. His son, Frank Schaeffer, this is, uh, if you know anything about Schaeffer's life, Frank Schaeffer's kind of treacherous waters in some ways uh, in how to kind of deal with his comments, affirms these points in multiple places. In an interview with Whitehead, Frank Schaeffer states, quote, he had been used, talking about his dad, he, uh, Francis Schaeffer had been used by people like James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, and others to give some respectability to points of view that were really not his. The politicized view of him is illegitimate. Though Frank Schaeffer's views may or may not be an overcorrection of what he witnessed, they were not new admissions. He'd made those same uh, comments decades prior. In a letter to historian Mark Knoll in 1982, Frank Schaeffer writes, I believe that because people like Jerry Falwell have welcomed some of his books and not others, for instance, I've not heard Falwell extolling his book Pollution and the Death of Ban, you've put a linkage by, uh, via guilt by association concerning ideas which do not belong with us. Instead, he clarifies that his father does not, quote, either in a Christian manifesto or in any of his books, preach the God, flag, country line of much of American fundamentalism. Instead, Frank Schaefer affirmed his father's emphasis on a Christian consensus in America, as opposed to an explicit Christian founding of America. Frank Schaefer understood his dad to think of the Christian right as co-belligerents, not as co-workers. While some have challenged Frank Schaefer's account, William Edgar largely agrees with the younger Schaefer giving accounts of his own conversations with Francis Schaeffer on the topic. Edgar reports approaching the older Schaeffer with concerns regarding uh, seeming allegiances with the religious right. According to Edgar, Schaeffer understood the religious right to be co-belligerents and not necessarily his allies. Edgar states, clearly, Schaeffer was not in any way a patsy to the leaders of the evangelical right. Interestingly, Edgar understands Schaefer to conceptualize his own political, political action less as conservative and more as revolutionary. I'll take uh, just a moment uh, and highlight some correspondence between Schaefer and Jerry Falwell, as well as uh, Schaefer and Tim LaHaye. While Frank Schaefer and William Edgar's views are helpful in this area, Francis Schaefer's correspondence with Jerry Falwell, a prominent leader in the religious right and founder of the moral majority, is illustrative as well. While the recorded correspondence between the two dates back to 1978, most of the documented communication between the two dates within the last two years of Schaefer's life, now which is after his diagnosis of cancer. Falwell writes to Schaefer in 1983, declaring, another year has rolled by, and even though it was a great one, you and I both know that there's still a lot of work to be done. We need your contribution to this nation and the cause of Christianity. So Falwell was encouraging Schaefer's work in the political sphere. 
Schaefer responds to Falwell, affirming points of agreement. I really am thankful for your courage and do believe the Lord is using you in a very real way in the Lord's matters at our moment of history and in our country. He continues, there's a whole group of the weak Christians in the U.S. who are doing their best to devaluate the Christian influence in the founding of the United States. This has repercussions in how the present situation is viewed and what is done about it. Thus, this is crucial. So Schaefer sympathizes with Falwell on Christianity's influence in America's founding. Yet he quickly writes on the crux of the matter, which for him is Christian unity, even on the political stage. He writes openly to Falwell, I feel the most crucial thing at the moment is to think out our priorities so that Christians will be standing together rather than opposed to each other, especially in the present legal cases. So one hears tones here of Schaefer's final apologetic of visible unity within the Christian church. Schaefer had written to Falwell earlier in April of 1982 on the issue of abortion. Interestingly here, Schaefer seems to challenge Falwell for not going far enough politically on the matter. He writes, because the issue is the value of human life as such, and if the exceptions are made such as incest, etc., etc., the issue is lost. Schaefer seemed upset with Falwell for not being clearer and firmer on the issue of abortion. Since abortion was one of, if not the central issue, connecting Schaefer to the religious right, it is surprising to see this intimation of conflict between Falwell and Schaefer. Schaefer appeared concerned that Falwell was not consistent enough and that he was not taking the issue far enough politically. In May of 1982, Schaefer would contact Falwell concerning political issues on the global stage. He writes, quote, This whole matter saddens me, but I feel what is involved are the persecuted Christians in the Soviet Union, and also the possibility of the extension of further tyranny, especially into Western Europe, either by military or political means. Schaefer was concerned about his fellow man, not just those within the borders of the United States. While Schaefer would certainly be more involved in U.S. politics later in his life, he was aware of those Christians, Christian brothers and sisters being persecuted elsewhere. He desired to see healing beyond the boundaries of the United States. Chuck Colson, an evangelical leader in his own right, was arguably influenced uh, unarguably influenced by the work and life of Francis Schaeffer. Colson interestingly distanced himself from others in the evangelical political circle, specifically Falwell. Writing a letter to Schaeffer as well, he clarifies, I am a political conservative, but I take issue with my conservative friends who think that having a conservative government in power will ultimately solve all of our problems. Though you have been giving me pause to rethink some of my criticism of the moral majority, it is on this issue that I think Falwell and his supporters missed the crucial distinction. Colson, in possible agreement with Schaefer, understood national problems to find full resolution outside of Christian and conservative political power. Tim LaHaye. LaHaye argued that it was Schaefer's uh, work that caused him to think theologically about political action. Actually, in the introduction of his book, The Battle for the Mind, LaHaye desired for the book to be a, quote, a clarion call to saltless Christians to fulfill Dr. Francis Schaefer's challenge to, one, continue being lights in the world, but also, two, being a savoring moral influence in our culture. Yet, at least within documented correspondence between the two, LaHaye only sent a general letter that included Schaefer as just one of many recipients. LaHaye wrote that they were quickly approaching the most important election day in our lifetime. He clarified his concerns, stating, on that day, we will discover how successful have been the efforts of the feminists, radical activists, NEA, unionists, Jesse Jacksons, and others to register voters and influence their followers to cast ballots in favor of the liberal, liberal politicians 
who will, who will reinstate the leftist programs that prevailed before the election of 1980. I don't have to tell you about the abortion holocaust, pornographic plague, attacks on religious freedom, or the many other social evils that endanger America's future. You already speak on these things. That's why I'm sending this letter to you. According to the letter, LaHaye wanted to, quote, form a co coalition of traditional values that can provide effective coordination for the many Christian organizations and church groups that already exist. Attached to the list was a list of names, uh, people that he also sent the letter to, which was a virtual who's who among the Christian right at the time. It included, but was not limited to, Kenneth Copeland, James Dobson, James Kennedy, Pat Robertson, Oral Roberts, Jerry Falwell, Charles Stanley, as well as Francis Schaeffer. To be clear, Schaeffer was well aware that some perceived him to be co-opted by the religious right. Robert Weber wrote to him in 1983, anxious, says, one of my concerns, which I expressed to you on your last visit to Wheaton, is the way the religious right is wrapping Christianity in the flag in this country. Most of its leaders, including Falwell, are treating America as though it's the fulfillment of Israel and God's chosen nation to his work in the world today. I regard this teaching as a perversion of the biblical doctrine of the church and a distortion, a distortion of the Christian faith. The church has put into the service a particular in the service of particular political and economic ideology. In this way, the true mission of the church has shifted towards political ends. He continues more pointedly, the religious right has used you, talking about Schaefer, in support of a politicized church, leaving the impression that both God and Francis Schaefer are on the side of America, the Republican agenda, and free enterprise. He concludes the letter writing, you are now perhaps unwittingly regarding, regarded as the one who has baptized fundamentalism's alignment to the church with a political and economic agenda of the new political right. Yet Weber is quick to clarify. He says, frankly, I don't think you were there. I know how important the church is to you, and I know that you would not want to politicize the church, make it the servant of institutional powers. I don't think that we have a response that Schaefer wrote to Weber, but he did write a letter to him a month before that letter, where he said, I, I uh, am strongly opposed to anything that could be considered a theocracy either in name or in fact, or anything that has related to Constantinianism. Further, Schaefer writes elsewhere, con condemning more extreme notions, saying, we must protest the notion of manifest destiny that permits our nation to do anything it chooses. If the claims about, against Schaefer's alignment with the religious right and hyper-emphasis on political, Christian political action run deeper than mere correspondence with its leaders. <clears throat> R.J. Rushduni. The shadow of R.J. Rushduni plays in the background of many discussions regarding Schaefer's political action and public theology. Rushduni, who many consider the father of Christian Reconstructionism, was a name known to Schaefer, as well as those whom Schaefer worked with, like John Whitehead, research assistant of Schaefer, as well as lawyer and founder of the Rutherford Institute. The arduous question at hand is how much influence Rushduni's work exerted, uh, exerted over Schaefer. Their personal correspondence was limited, yet some re record hearing of Rushduni while at Labrie. William Edgar remembers explicitly hearing a lecture on Rushduni at Labrie and how Schaefer had largely sided with Rushduni's assessment of the American Constitution. On one hand, Frank Schaefer attests that his father believed Rushduni to, quote, be crazy and, quote, have psychiatric problems. <laughs> on the other hand, others recall Schaefer discussing the works of Rushduni with affirmation and excitement. Those who wish to critique Schaefer's work, specifically Manifesto, tie his argument closer to Rushduni's project than others. Certainly there are, sure, uh, there are shared sentiments between the two men. Both argue for a Christian consensus, 
though to significantly different degrees. Barry Hankins rightly points out that at the very least, their, eschat uh, their eschatology is a dividing point. Rush Juni was a post-millennialist, Schaefer held to a pre-millennialist view. Further, while Rush Juni sought to bring about Old Testament civil law in contemporary legislation, Schaefer believed that only the principles, not the actual details of the Old Testament civil law were applicable under the New Covenant. And by the way, if you didn't realize kind of how, how out there some of Rush Dooney's views are, here it is. He says, therefore, <laughs> says, therefore Rush Dooney's most extreme views of Christian Reconstructionism, that is, for example, the stoning of adulterers and homosexuals, was not applicable or acceptable at all from Schaefer's perspective. Both Schaefer and Whitehead may have garnered from Rush Dooney a different perspective of America's founding. Edgar argues that Schaefer was largely sympathetic to the view that America began as a Christian civic structure, and that it needed to be realigned with its original vision. Further, these political themes of Christian consensus and Christian influence upon America's founding seem to be in Schaefer's lectures back all the way in the 1960s or before, not a drastic change or revelation in the latter years of his life. Whitehead also came to the conclusion, specifically from listening to and reading Rush Dooney, that the American founding had much deeper Christian influence than secular academics and media figures believed. Yet, Whitehead had abandoned Rush Dooney's more theocratic vision by the time he worked with Schaefer. A qualification, one author argues, led to Schaefer's willingness to work with Whitehead. Unexpectedly, supporters of Rush Dooney felt that Schaefer was not close enough to Rush Dooney's vision for public engagement to warrant any label of influence. Men like Gary North noted how Schaefer, Schaefer failed to adhere to Mosaic Law, which was a key tenet of Rush Dooney's project and that Schaefer was far too easy on both liberals and humanists. If you've ever read Schaefer, that he was too easy on liberals and humanists is interesting. According uh, to those who subscribe to Rush Dooney's Reconstructionism, Schaefer was not a lauded proponent, but instead failed to commit to the entire vision. Thus, while Schaefer may have garnered a few principles from Rush Dooney's work, it apparently was not enough for Rush Dooney's defenders. Perpetuating Rush Dooney's possible influence, at least one author argues that Schaefer's that Schaefer helped promote a form of dominionism that mandated Christians occupy all secular institutions until the return of Christ. Yet this argument is tangential at best. In Sarah Diamond's works, Rose to Dominion, she seeks to offer a four-degree connection from dominionism to Schaefer's public theology by way of Christian reconstructionism and manifesto. I think the argument fails to substantiate Schaefer as a key proponent of that movement. Specifically, Schaefer's work in manifesto does not seek a political action of dominion as, as understood by Christian Reconstructionists, but instead is aimed at the possibility and need for civil disobedience. As Michael uh, McVicker notes, it is, it is impossible to conflate the systems of Rush Dooney and Schaefer. Rush Dooney and Schaefer were simply not synonymous in their political public theology. Instead, it may be better to understand Schaefer and Rush Dooney as co-belligerents, who share some similar sentiments but worked in opposition to one another at times. McVicker clarifies, Schaefer neither appealed to Genesis' dominion mandate to authorize his political agenda, nor believed in theocratic rule in any context. Further, he found any talk of alliances between church and state distressing, refusing to speak in churches that display the Christian or U.S. flags. Francis Schaefer helped persuade John Whitehead to abandon Rushdoony's theocratic project. To add to that case, Schaefer never publicly acknowledged any influence from Rushdoony. A constructive reappraisal. How then is one to understand the public theology of Francis Schaeffer? 
While many have argued from a shift from a bohemian Christian guru to a rank-and-file fundamentalist, I was particularly proud of that line, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I told my wife when I was writing this way back, I was like, this is good, you should hear this. <laughs> uh, the truth of Schaefer's public theology seems more complicated. Few, if any, argue against Schaefer's influence on evangelicals in the middle of the 20th century. Yet, as Jay Budzizewski argues, Schaefer was also an internal judge of evangelicalism as well. Because of Schaefer's willingness to challenge both outside and inside his own camp, it may be helpful to conceptualize Schaefer's public theology in the role of a prophet. In doing so, some have labeled Schaefer as a Jeremiah Reed of Evus. Schaefer certainly had a share of Jeremiah's and sought to warn his listeners of encroaching evils in the ever-present line of despair while also declaring Christ's lordship for all of life. In doing so, he held to at least a soft Kyperianism as he operated in a prophetic role. He himself states, Jesus cannot be, uh, uh, be savior unless we also say he is Lord. And we cannot honestly and rightly say he is Lord if he is only Lord of part of our life and not the totality of life, including all social and political and cultural life. To put another way, Schaefer was a cultural custodian. Accordingly, Schaefer felt it necessary to proclaim the truth of reality as found objectively in God's word pointing out where his listeners were inconsistent with their beliefs and practice. Patterson writes, like Jeremiah of old, Schaefer soberly accepted the prophetic mantle, proclaim a message of doom to his own generation. But to be clear, Schaefer did not relegate himself simply and solely to a message of doom to his own generation or the next, but often offered hope in tangible ways in which to correct the current projection of culture. Renald McCauley, which is uh, one of Schaefer's sons-in-law, Writes, he continued to warn, but his warnings came from a yearning, not a hopeless heart. One could argue that some of Schaefer's later books took on the tone of lament, but that's to misunderstand Schaefer's goal and ethos. The majority of Schaefer's work certainly has a prophetic voice, seeking to herald the truth of reality in order for people to find meaning in God's true truth. And following the tradition of understanding all of one's life under Christ's lordship, Schaefer was concerned about the danger of divorcing one's personal faith from the public witness. I think most appraisals concerning Schaefer's public theology fail because they either, one, deal with manif uh, a Christian manifesto exclusively, thus treating it as exhaustive of Schaefer's entire political action, or two, they seek to cultivate an uneasy tension between manifesto and the rest of Schaefer's work. I think both of these approaches fail to understand manifesto as, one, a contextualized work on a particular subject, but also, two, one that's largely consistent with the rest of Schaefer Schaefer's work. Manifesto might be, the, might be best understood as an apologetic both about and for the public square, while also being understood as a work directed at Schaefer's cultural moment. Even in Manifesto, the prophetic cultural observer is both warning and guiding those who will listen. One of, if not the final publication that Schaefer wrote is an article entitled Christian Faith and Human Rights, published in the Simon Greenleaf Law Review. In many ways, the article is largely representative of his views and tone throughout his works. In the article, Schaefer does not seek to baptize the founding fathers, stating clearly that many of them were, were deists. Yet, uh, yet he does, as he had done many times before, argue for a Christian consensus during the American Revolution and the founding of the United States that was grounded in a Judeo-Christian understanding of God. This grounding, he believed, led to the unalienable rights God provides that are enumerated in the Constitution. In the article, he clarifies his own concern for a variety of groups he believes to be affected by this reductionistic worldview, specifically talking about naturalism and humanism. Uh, 
As one would expect, he expresses his worry about, the honoring, uh, about honoring the dignity of human persons, both at the beginning and the end of life. Regarding the issue of abortion, he writes, This protection was for everyone, but is peculiarly uh, was a protection for the weak. Regard the unborn infant and the newborn child who is allowed to starve to death because he or she does not come up to someone's concept of what is an adequate standard of life. He continues in that same article, turning his attention to end-of-life issues. Quote, and down the road a bit, the aged who are seen and certainly will be increasingly seen as a demographic burden and a nuisance, economic and socially. He also expresses concern for those who may be a member of a minority group as well and how their human rights may be affected. Schaefer cared deeply about human dignity grounded in the Imago Dei. He had eyes on those who were the most vulnerable. For Schaefer, these concerns were linked to a devaluation of both law and the principle of human dignity. So Schaefer concludes his article, there's an unbreakable link between the existence of this God and the unique dignity and worth of the individual human being made in his image. And there's an unbreakable link between the existence of this God and any sufficient basis for law, and specifically for inalienable rights. Thus, Schaefer believed the objective truth of God to not only inform one's anthropology, but their politics as well. Answers to difficult questions in every sphere could be answered because, quote, the infinite personal God, the full Trinitarian God, is there and he is not silent. As Schaefer's son-in-law, Renald McCauley, writes, talking about, his, his, uh, talking about Schaefer, he eschewed being called a prophet, but perhaps that is what he was. As a prophet does, Schaefer stood contramundum in a variety of areas. One could argue that Schaefer stood contramundum alone. He was clear in his opposition to the secular world as well as liberal Christianity. Yet later in his life, he found himself standing against some of those in both the moderate and evangelical camps as well. Schaefer stood for inerrancy, the dignity of human life, as well as extending healing work of the gospel into all areas of life. Schaefer understood his project to apply the lordship of Christ in all areas of the human experience. Francis Schaefer's public theology is a complicated matter. He influenced the moral majority and evangelicals, but also a generation of disenfranchised young skeptics. He stood resolutely for inerrancy while also beckoning the church to love and unity. He fought for the right to life, not only in regards to abortion, but also, also infanticide and euthanasia. He cared not only about challenging secularism, but also promoting a proper view of the arts and encouraging environmental stewardship. To be sure, these issues have not always fit easily into a particular political vision. Yet they all find a place within a broad theological understanding of Christian practice within a given culture. Schaefer found similar voices when he decried the evils of abortion whether or not they join the chorus on other issues. He also heard the declaration of those who spoke out about a Christian consensus, even though they may have not agreed on every point. Yet Schaefer was quick to note that when both believers and unbelievers alike had not inclined their ears to truth, God had spoken clearly in his word. Schaefer, as a prophet in the 20th century, sat as a watchman declaring what he saw, often intertwining a message of warning and hope. Schaefer stood contramundum, though not to forsake the world, but instead for the sake of the world. Very good. Okay, we have a few minutes, so uh, if you have any questions or comments for Mr. Talbot, you can ask them at this time.
Who would you consider to be the shapers of today? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, um, if there are any. Yeah. I don't know that there's, uh, I can't readily, I was actually talking with someone about this maybe a month or two ago. I can't readily think of someone that kind of intertwines all the things that Schaefer does. I think there's people that do some of these things to varying degrees. There's plenty of people that... Uh, fight for the right to life in compelling ways like he did. Uh, but they don't also speak about you know, uh, ecological stewardship. You know, in some ways, this is what I find so fascinating about Schaefer is he's, it's not that he's all over the place, but he's kind of extending this into all areas of life. And so, um, you know, there's certainly people that care about all these things, uh, but to write on all of them in the capacity that he has, uh, maybe there is somebody, maybe Chuck Colson might be an example, uh, someone that's similar, but he certainly, you know, is, Influenced very heavily by Schaefer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And not to delve into politics, but it, what would you say today? What would you say about evangelicalism oh, and yeah. its political engagement? <laughs> and what would you say about yeah. our culture? I mean, so I've never read any of Schaefer stuff. So yeah. This was extremely helpful to me. Yeah, yeah. I feel like buying a bunch of books on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you should. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. the world he was describing then sounds very similar to today. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, so what, what do you think he would say today? And what would he say about evangelicalism in the church today and its political engagement? Yeah. It's hard to do, you know, kind of pulling somebody, for, even though there, there's plenty of similarities. Um, seems to me, just at first blush, that I think Schaefer would begin with the issues first, right? Um, abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, political stewardship, or uh, sorry, uh, ecological stewardship, um, military involvement, all these things. Um, and, and then go from there as far as, you know, what to, what to vote for. Um, you know, as far as what he would think about some of our political parties. He wasn't happy back then, so I don't know that he'd be happy now. <laughs> so maybe that's a good way of uh, uh, sufficiently dodging the question. <laughs> yeah, 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 Jackson. Let's stay on that for just a second. <laughs> I, well, well, it's not, yeah. not really controversial, sure, but sure. like it's, some of these folks were content to sort of trace out issues and let people sort of connect the dots in the voting booth themselves. Oh, right. Sometimes though, people would go further in explicitly mentioning, if, so for example, um, page number 112 is kind of interesting. So two things, one, and I, I, I've often reminded our folks that we say every election is the most important yeah. election in our <laughs> life. Well, it can't be but one mm. by definition. And you only know that retroactively, yeah. right? So is the next one. And it only fits <laughs> your lifetime. Yeah. But anyway, but you notice the quote by LaHaye, right. footnote 69. So we've got that kind of rhetoric there. Um, I can't remember, and you've, you've got the collection there at Sebbets um, that hmm. you, you have some sources from. I'm trying to remember if Schaefer ever explicitly, like, so at the end of his life, Reagan's president. Right, right. And a lot of conservative evangelicals felt like, okay, there's an opportunity here to get mm. some stuff done, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and some were happy with some of the stuff, some were very disappointed, especially on the Supreme Court stuff. Yeah. It, although that came more in time. 
I can't remember Schaefer ever explicitly referring to Reagan in any correspondence. I feel like in manifesto, maybe he mentions the administration, yeah. which would have been, and he also mentions elections that were coming up. And, and what's odd in that piece is that it even was like a midterm. It wasn't even like a presidential. Well, Hay mentions right. uh, the 84 election, what he was referring to. Have you come across that? That's my first question. Have yeah. you come across any? Explicit mention of any president, any candidates or anything? Yeah, so I, I don't know that he, well, so he has a, a, a long, I didn't even get, this would be its own paper. Um, he had a long correspondence with uh, Jack Kemp. Um, yeah. Uh, and Edith Schaefer um, had like consistent meetings with her wife. And I think part of the way that that came about was uh, Edith Schaefer and Jack Kemp's wife started to meet together and they started reading some of Schaefer's books and then they became friends. So there's a long correspondence there. Um, but I, you know, that, that would take, you know, plenty of other pages to, <laughs> to work through. Um, he does seem to be a little, when, when, uh, Reagan shows up on the stage, he seems a little bit more optimistic. And I think, um, I was looking back at page 104. I can't remember if this is, uh, this is it, but he, and he, he's not, he doesn't mention anybody explicitly like you're mentioning, but he does talk about a window being open. So here's like a. He seems a little more optimistic, right? Here's an opportunity uh, for us at, at this time. So. Yeah. And then the one other thing that yeah. your advisor yeah. has been talked about and written some on is this whole co-belligerence thing. Yeah, yeah. Because we've seen some, Schaefer meant that in a slightly more narrow way than yes. most people mean it. Most people mean that as you can just kind of work with anybody on anything as long as you got one shared issue. Right, right. Whereas Schaefer seems, and you tell me if you think this is right or not, it was almost more limited to the abortion issue more than any other issue. Yeah. And that he was, what Bruce Little says is that people that take co-belligerence and apply it to something like racial justice issues like the Black Lives Matter, yeah. that wouldn't yeah. fit in that cat. That's his interpretation. Yeah. Schaefer wouldn't count that because of the sort of worldview foundations behind the BLM movement. Yeah. Not the larger concerns about racial equality and things like that. Yeah. Is that, is that your reading of things? Uh, yeah, at least in part. So one, um, we and I, I do, and plenty of people do. We make a big deal out of Schaefer's use of co-belligerence. He actually doesn't talk about it a ton. I think there's kind of one area that he discusses it, and we kind of make <laughs> make a big deal out of it. He, um, he, he I, I think he does uh, utilize it a little bit wider than just abortion. Um, but he wants to say we we need to be very clear on what the issue is, and it has to be an incredibly um, clear issue that we're coming together on. And so for him, abortion was this so you know, uncomplicated that we can link arms with somebody because it's, it's the right to life. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned my, my advisor, Dr. Bruce Little. He, he mentions that the problem with, you know, some people have argued well, Schaefer would be in favor of uh, like the Black Lives Matter movement. And he says, well, Schaefer would be in favor of racial reconciliation, but the Black Lives Matter movement as an organization is, is overly complicated. Um, and makes it impossible to come together on maybe the singular issue because the agenda of, of that, um, that organized group is, is much larger and complicated. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, I, yeah. Think that's, yeah. I think he's right about that. I think so, yeah. And, of course, you know, C. Everett Coop oh, co-authored yeah. the, the Whatever Happened to Human Race with them who was Reagan's attorney, I mean, Reagan's, what do you call it, surgeon general. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, helped him produce the, 
Mm-hmm. You know, co-starred or whatever. Oh, sure, sure. Since someone's admitted they haven't read any Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I won't also admit it, but it could be possible. True. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. Yeah, yeah. If I had read anything. Yeah, yeah. What, what would you encourage some of the young Oh, yeah. That's great. Read, that would be good reading. Well, I make all of our students read uh, <laughs> Shakespeare. Thanks uh, for making me feel this. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it kind of depends on what you're interested in, because um, there, there is such a wide range of, of topics. There's some kind of overview yeah. from that you could read that and expand into the other areas you want to read about Shakespeare. Yeah, encourage. probably um, it, he is there and he's not silent is a good place to start. That kind of gets into like his, his philosophy, art, and all that. There's some much more accessible stuff. He has a it's really more of a pamphlet. Art in the Bible is kind of his views of like uh, a Christian art. You could read that like in, a, in an hour or so. Escape from reason is short. Yeah, and reiterate some of the stuff that uh, he is there and he's not silent talked about. Yeah. yeah. So that would be a good one as well. Really like a booklet. Yeah. You can get the, the five volumes um, yeah. pretty well. Or uh, there's, they call it the trilogy, which is three of his books in, in one. So that had your favorite I've read it Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> I got covered. This will keep you good for a while. So. <laughs> Anybody else? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a good comment. Um, so I haven't read a ton of Dreher. Well, I've, I've read, I've, uh, I've read Crunchy Cons, read a uh, Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies. Uh, <laughs> that's, a that's about, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I haven't read as much as. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it depends on, I don't know that Dreher's is like a um, kind of a withdrawing as much as some people say he is. So if you read the Benedict Option, I think he's more of kind of like, let's, let's be faithfully like present where we're at um, in like Christian communities. I still think that Schaefer would still want to be more engaged, uh, more kind of active to press into different spheres of culture. Um, whereas Dreher seems okay to say, we can hit the pause button for, for a little bit. Mr. Brace has read, or been kind of uh, engaged with Dre a little bit more. I don't know, is that a fair, fair assessment? About, um, is, is Dre Schaefer, you know, 40 years later? Yeah, um, yeah I can see some comparisons. Mm. Uh, I think they're somewhat different from yeah. Well, the, the Venn diagram, you know, there's some overlap, but yeah. uh, I think they're their own sort of things. Yeah. That said, I like Dreher a lot. Hmm. Anybody else? They can watch the movies. Oh yeah, yeah. You can get it on YouTube. You can watch his. Uh, um, yeah, they they seem a little bit uh, dated, but they're they're not bad. 
If you've never seen Schaefer before, you might be surprised. He was a guy that grew up as a fundamentalist Presbyterian, and uh, anywhere he spoke, he wore. Uh, so he spent a lot of time in Switzerland. Yeah, so he wore uh, Swedish uh, knickerbockers and hiking boots. Had kind of long hair and a goatee. Interesting looking. Was that? Isn't Frankie the one? That was yeah, yeah, yeah. If you really kind of want to go down a deep hole, you can read stuff on Frank Schaefer, which is interesting. He's now an agnostic. Uh, that's an interesting dynamic. Sorry. Thank you so much. And thank you all for being here and being so uh, faithful to attend these sessions. Uh, it's great to have folks from uh, all over the place. We've got some folks from South Georgia, North Florida, Oklahoma, Arkansas, East Tennessee, New York City. And it's just wonderful to have everyone and to, uh, to be involved. Next year, we're going to do it right here at Welch College again. And it's going to be the 3rd and 4th of October. And uh, our new, I want to introduce our new uh, program chairman, uh, Corey Thompson. And uh, we're going to be sending out, uh, this is our newest commissioner. And he's also taking over for Dr. Watts as program coordinator. Let's give him a hand and welcome him. He's going to do an excellent job and we're going to be getting you out some information about how you can send in a paper proposal. There are a lot of you in this room who need to read a paper and uh, you would do really well at it. So I encourage you to do that and we'll be getting you his information, his contact information and uh, the way that you can participate and you can present a paper proposal for consideration for next year's symposium. Also, continue to uh, read our blog, fwbtheology.com. We occasionally post something for you to read uh, on that blog and be watching for another issue of Integrity, which will be coming out next summer. And we will also be making an, an announcement about our forthcoming theological trends seminar, theological integrity seminar at the next annual session of the National Association of Free Will Baptists. It's great to have Dr. Eddie Moody, our Executive Secretary of the National Association of Free Will Baptists, and let's all stand together. And Dr. Moody, would you pray our prayer of dismissal and a blessing on all of us? Father, we thank you for the good papers we've heard read tonight. We thank you for everything that's happened here in this meeting. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to honor you with our heart, soul, mind, and all of our strength as well. And we do ask that you'll help us to impact our culture, help us to uh, learn a lot. We think about Schaefer, we think about the wisdom that Jesus had. Help us to put that to practice in our particular communities and in this culture. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah.